Hiring? With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And now pleased to welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, SEC on CBS lead analyst, Gary Danielson. Great game, Gary. We uh, we talked, got to speak for a little bit on SEC Live afterwards on uh, on the stream for the broadcast, and I, uh, I I could sense it from your comments in the booth. We could feel it, but the intensity, a game that was decided in the trenches, uh, this this one really fell in line with a lot of the the Florida LSU classics that we've come to know and love. Well, you know, Chip, what I sometimes what I think the fans are looking for is for the players to care about it as much as they do. Mm. And, you know, sometimes we as announcers or talking heads and experts continue to talk about, you know, the national title implications, the how many NFL draft picks have gone through the program, um, what the next recruiting class looks like, who our next star is going to be, and what I think they really secretly uh, strive for is to seeing guys out there giving it their all for the school. And what I tried to bring to the game last week is because is, I read a lot about LSU and I was a little bit curious as to, you know, what what was wrong with them? Were they mm-hmm. really getting manhandled? And when I turned it on, what I saw was a really frustrated team, a team that thought, you know what, I've been a four and five star my whole life. We shouldn't be losing to Mississippi State. And uh, and and it, and it carried over to the Troy game. They got some bad breaks early in Troy with with their offense, kind of got them chasing their tail. And I thought Ed Orgeron did a great job of rallying his troops, and you could see it through that game. There were guys playing injured, guys playing less than 100%, guys that cared about the game. Now, you know, it happened to be a little bit of a perfect storm. Florida's calling it, you know, homecoming game. They went into, you know, Death Valley last year and beat them. Their coach talked about how they got what they deserved. But, you know, I, I think if you like football and you set aside some of the aspects of modern football, the trickery, the no huddle, the fantasy sports, the the tweeting after the game. <laughs> if you like to watch football and guys care about being there for their teammate and their school, I thought that game had a lot of that in there. Well, Gary, you know, should we look at this LSU team any different after this week? Because uh, you called it, like you you saw this coming and and felt like LSU was going to have a good showing. Yeah, I did. But I guess did. They look like a better team, or did they just beat a different version of Troy? Because Florida's not that great either. So I, I, I'm curious, I, you know, what you what you take if, from it. If you made, if you put me out on the the, the plank and you know uh, off the ship and said you got to go one direction or the other, I would say that you know Florida has problems, 
and they, they didn't beat that great of a football team. And, and LSU still has holes in their team. And without a 100% Darius Geis and a limited, you know, Danny Etling is, is Danny. You know, he needs help. He, he needs a team around him to, uh, to make a lot of plays. And, and they're not as gifted along the defensive line where they could dominate teams. So that they're always going to be vulnerable. How, you know, how do they score enough points to match Auburn is going to be a big question. Uh, and, you know, Auburn continues to get better. I think they're one of the great stories in college football, considering they got sacked 11 times in the first game. Um, but if you peeked inside those stats, they, you find that they held Clemson to 14 points. Doesn't look as bad now. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's it's like the light. I don't think anyone at LSU who's inside that program, if you were able to talk to Ed Ogeron or Matt Canada or Dave Aranda, said, yeah, now we got it going. Watch out. Watch <laughs> out, big boys. Watch right. out. We're here. I don't think they believe that. I think they know they have holes and that every first down, you know, every win will have to be inched out until they build this program back to with the talent uh, that the LSU fan is used to seeing. As it pertains to the Gators, uh, Felipe Franks, he's missing some skill position players in this game, but even as you start to look at uh, his development as a starting quarterback, whenever there are procedural communication issues, it sends some alarms off for me, particularly in trying to look at how far this Florida offense might even be able to go when they get a Tyree Cleveland back in the lineup. Um, Where do you think Felipe Franks is in his development? Is there going to be any chance that Jim McElwain and Doug Nussmeyer are going to be able to hold this together or is Malik Zaire going to get some burn? <laughs> well, Malik Zaire has to question why he didn't get it. Listen, there was a lot of things, you know, I try to be fair to both sides when I do a game. It's, it's hard sometimes. You're trying to call a game and make it exciting for the fans and you're trying to look inside of it. You know, one of the things that I think going back and reviewing the game when I was driving home that I wish I would have done a better job of is why the fascination um, in, in going with a wide receiver in the Wildcat when you had Malik Zaire there. Um, I, I mean, why would you have Felike Franks as a wide receiver when you could have a real wide receiver out there and let Zaire do the Wildcat with a guy who could throw? So there, there are... I still think question marks about why Florida continues to try to play it so close to the vet. They seem to be afraid to call anything. They, they, just, they just seem so afraid of their shadow calling plays. Um, maybe they know stuff about you know their position, but I know when they went down and got down 17-3, to three, and I came back and asked our producer and director to build the package. They started out on first down, and they rolled right with a simple out route. And you know what the receiver did? He beat his man, for goodness sakes. How about that? Instead of trying to scheme a guy to get open where they trick people, they actually asked Freddie Swain to beat your guy one-on-one. He crossed his face, and he beat him. Franks gave him the ball. Then they had a, a key third down play, and he threw a slant for a first down. Then they had another play where they threw a slant, and they got pass interference. Okay, and I'm going... Well, it, that doesn't look that hard to me. And I don't know why they're so hesitant to let Felipe Franks have a little bit more slack. I'm mm-hmm. not saying he has to be Texas Tech. 
you know, and throw the ball 45 times. But I think they need to get to 25. I mean, until that last drive of with four minutes to go in the game, he had thrown the ball 12 times. Right. 12 times. 12 times in the game. It was the uh, least I, amount of passing yards for a Florida quarterback since Treon Harris had 60 against South Carolina a couple years ago. Yeah, and I, and I probably wish I would have said that. And you guys, you know, listen, it's always easy to look at the stats afterwards. I mean, you know how it is. We're going <laughs> yeah, right. full speed. But you're right. But but uh, I, don't, I don't get that. I have to be honest. I don't, nobody can be that bad, you know. So, I I think that Jim McElwain has to look deep in his soul and go, is this how we're going to try to be? I mean, even if we are this way, and we get, for somehow we we're able to have, you know, beat LSU and upset Georgia and get to the championship, you know, where are you going to go? You're going to beat Florida? I mean, Alabama playing like this? I don't think so. So I I, uh, I understand people get guys hurt and you might have to taper the, the game plan. And I, I just don't think they're opening the game up enough. Well, what I really don't. What about this week? Because it gets real interesting for the Gators with Texas A&M coming to town. Uh, the Aggies, you know, did a, did a pretty decent job of hanging in that game against Alabama. Uh, rat poison put to the side. But as you're looking yeah. at Texas A&M and Florida – you know, are is are they going to be able to get to twenty five going up against uh, Kellen Mond and Christian Kirk? Well, one of the th- things that I really talked about this year, why I liked Florida as a you know, I thought they might take the next step, was their schedule. You know, playing so many games in the state of Florida, the fact of when they play people. You know, they caught Vanderbilt right after they played Alabama. Look who they're playing the week after someone plays Alabama this week. Right. I, I, th- I, th- I think they're catching A&M at the perfect time. I, I, you know, I figured that Alabama would walk into a bit of a hornet's nest. I mean, that was the season. I mean, they got pride, these players and coaches. And, and I knew they'd give them a pretty good game. It was 24-3, and you can say they let their foot off the gas. Okay, I'll buy all of that. But I, I think A&M left a, a lot on the table uh, uh, against uh, Alabama. And it's one of the reasons why I thought Florida had a chance to have a great season this year with their schedule, getting that extra home game uh, with LSU. You know, the fact that they, you know, they always get that, you know, they don't have to go to Georgia this year. I know they never do, but this would be the year they would have, you know. So they had a perfect schedule. And it's it's the same, yes, injuries, yes, suspensions, all that considered. But, you know, that was a winnable game, and I, I, I actually think they're sitting pretty nice to be playing Texas A&M when they do. That's interesting that you, you kind of like that matchup for Florida at this time, especially given sort of that, that Texas A&M really showed us some things against Alabama. I thought their defense was, yep. you know, kind of brought back some of the old vulnerability of Alabama we saw last year with Jalen Hurts. No doubt. Quarterback. No doubt. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, and, and Kellen Mond continues to develop – uh, do you see this Texas A&M team in that light? Like, do you see this as a team that can be that sort of next tier below Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, or or are they still got a ways to go? I, in your opinion? Well, I think they're a legitimate. Uh, they have three levels that they can attack you on offense with Christian Kirk, and if Kellen Mond continues to to be the player they recruited, I, I know. But you know, going on the road now, yeah. I mean, it's. It's just a little different, you know, as a true freshman going on the road than playing at home. And even when 
you know, Jake Fromm went on the road. Yeah, he went on the road with two great running backs and, you know, a, a stifling defense. Yes. They're, you know, they've got some pieces and they're moving in the right direction. I will say that I, I I'm, I'm really intrigued with what A&M will be next year to tell you the truth. And, uh, uh, I, I think this was a bit of a transition year. Uh, I, I just think Florida's got to show up this week. I, I, I'd be shocked if they don't show up this week. And and A&M is vulnerable to the pass. If they don't open it up more and, and press some of those vulnerabilities, I'll be shocked. I, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't want to be Coach Mack if he doesn't, because that crowd's going to turn on him really bad this week. Uh, you know, think about it. If you're a Florida fan, I mean, you grew up on Steve Spurrier football. I mean, when he got the ball back with 50 seconds to go in the half with timeouts, they were going, let's go. <laughs> you know, we got a field goal kicker. I mean, every possession counts. When they got the ball with four minutes to go in the game, it was like, where's the sense of urgency? And, uh, you know, it's a crowd who's used to watching that type of football. I think we're going to see more of that this week. I think Mac, he's a good, smart football coach. I think he's looked and said, listen, we we." We got a nice running attack. We got good running backs, but we're not going to bang our head against the wall. If Alabama has nine tackles for a loss, what might happen for it with us? I think he's going to open it up more and start express and, and kind of poke some of the vulnerabilities that A&M has in that secondary because they've you know, given up some passing yards. And, and I, I think the Florida defense will rise. I, I like Florida in this game. I really do. I, I had a coach – a really good coach I played for in high school. And he used to say, you know, he ended up being a, a big time coach, Bill McCartney at uh, hey. Colorado. Yeah. And uh, he used to tell me when I, I did some of his games that, you know, Gary, it's really hard to get your team to play at peak passion more than three times a year. You know, the other games you got to win just because you got better players or the other teams down, or you get advantage of turnovers and and I I think A and M peaked out a little bit last week. I, you know, and Alabama can't get ready to play peak every week. That's that's why Nick tries to remember Nick Saban did the same press conference he did after Arkansas in 2014. Remember when they won 14 13, mm-hmm. and everybody was upset. And he said, "What are you upset for? It's a win's a win." You know, and this week he did something similar. You know, I, and that that's really the tough part of being a coach at the highest level is. You know, when you got to win them all or almost all of them, you got to manage that team. And and I I, I just got to I, I like Florida this week. I really do. Well, another coach that's facing some some challenges in house here recently is Butch Jones. And and I I wanted to get your take on the news uh, that's that's yeah. been reported today. Uh, what are we on uh, Wednesday, Tuesday? Um, saying that Jarek Guarantano, likely the starter, uh, Quentin Dormady actually may ex- be exploring some transfer options um what what are your thoughts of the move did was that was that a move that tennessee needed to make you think well managing four and five star quarterbacks in the sec might be the hardest job in football yeah <laughs> you know i mean uh you could see with the fields the what is it, justin fields kid that's going to georgia yeah um you know, we, we know that Jacob Eason's going to be leaving. Um, and, and we went through that last week on this podcast when we talked about how, you know, Kirby Smart was trying to get through this season, knowing he only had two scholarship quarterbacks. So if Quentin Dormady checks out, you know, I mean, if you've met Jared Garantano, 
you know, he's a pretty athletic kid, but he's pretty small. And if he's going to run the Josh Dobbs offense to kind of resurrect this team this year with all the problems going on in Tennessee, buckle your chin strap because the guys in this league hit you. And, and you go four or five games running the ball as many times as Josh Dobb did. Ask Trevor Knight how that worked out for him. You know, ask Chad Kelly how that worked out for him. You, you better be a man. And I don't know if Jared Garantano is a man to run the offense that maybe Tennessee wants to run. Do you think the Vols uh, picked themselves up from the bye week? I mean, there was there were a lot of leadership reps this week in Knoxville, and so right, right. They, they've got uh, South Carolina coming to town. It's a pretty uh, interesting match. It's a very there. interesting game. Well, my, you know, I, I think I told you guys in the first podcast. My, you know, my favorite quarterback is Jake Bentley. I, I just yeah. think he's he just has it all together. He's got a lot of tools, but he's just such a a just figures out the game. He just understands the game. Some of those. Uh, he has some of those traits. You know who has it? Another kid that has it is Tua Tagovailoa. He he sees things that you can't quite teach, uh, openings and cracks in the off in in the seams in the offense. And Jake has that special skill. I don't know if that skill is going to translate to the NFL. He's got the right size, got the right arm, got the you know he's got the brains to do it. But 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 some guys have that. So. You know, good for Will. You know, Will suffered at at Florida without a quarterback. <laughs> I know that, and it it'd be nice to ride one for two or three years in South Carolina. Because, um, yeah, Tennessee had a buy at the right time, and I wouldn't be surprised if Garitano plays. And I, I, I listen. I have a lot of respect for all those coaches at Tennessee. I mean, they're they're trying. Larry Scott is as good as you can meet with in a meeting before the game, drawing up X's and O's and playing game planning, explaining what the other team does and how he wants to use his, his weapons. Just don't know if he has enough weapons. Mm. I just don't know if he does. The Auburn Tigers are going to be going into Baton Rouge. It is the SEC on CBS game of the week. You can see at 3.30 Eastern time at kickoff. Brad Nessler, Gary Danielson, Allie LaForce. Uh, the Auburn Tigers have been without one of their weapons, Cameron Petway, coming into this game. Yes. Uh, on Johnson's been very, very productive. An un- really, really fast start against Ole Miss and a 44-23 win there. As we're looking at Auburn going up against this LSU defense, uh, what are you looking for and what are you expecting to see getting a chance to see the Tigers? I'm going to take a real big roundabout on this question because it's something that's kind of been bothering me about the league is that the criticism that there's no coaching going on in this league and or inferior coaching going on in this league, okay? Uh, uh, Kevin Sumlin has done a, a, a really nice job uh, resurrecting a program that a lot of people thought was ready to fall apart, okay? And um, with all of the rumors going around, He's done a great job of getting his team to continue to play with all the quarterback transfers. Will Muschamp has done a great job building that South Carolina program, losing the key players he has done. Uh, Mark Stoops is doing an outstanding job. I mean, you know, it's tough. Kentucky does not match up player for player with everybody else. I mean, even Eastern Michigan matched up well with him. So, you know, he he's doing a good job. Um, but, but, I, but I think Gus Malzahn might be having his best year as a head coach. He's relinquished uh, some of the responsibilities, you know, that he's dying to do because his pride and joy is his offense. Uh, he brought it with him from high school. He was innovative with it wherever he went, uh, Tulsa, Arkansas State, uh, uh, you know, what he coached at even at uh, 
uh, at Arkansas and, and, and what he did obviously with Cam uh, with Auburn. But this year he's seen his personnel and he's built this team a little bit different. And I question at the beginning of the year would um, Gus Malls not be able to step aside? Would his pride allow him to step aside just enough so that this team became a different version of offense uh, with Jared Stidham? And again, going back to where they started out, uh, to where they are now, um, I, I, just, I just give all the credit in the world to what Gus is building there. It's not an easy thing to build this team in the shadow of Alabama. So um, I, I think it's going to—it's—it's it's a matchup. Obviously, LSU is going to be ready, but I think the defense for Auburn uh, had, travels well. Uh, defense always does in this league, and uh, you know if Arden Key becomes more of being Arden Key, maybe they can put enough pressure. On, on, on Stidham to have one of those days, I think it's a great matchup. I, I really do. I'm really looking forward to it. And if Petway gets the other half of that running game being a compliment, I think Auburn's a real tough out here. Do you think, so, you know, you alluded to him fighting that battle of trying to force himself to take a step back. Do you feel like he has, uh, I guess, you know, early in the year, that's particularly that Clemson game, you know, it just still looked like Gus Malzahn's offense. Yeah, has I it think ev- he has. has it evolved more over the last couple games? I think he has, and I and I um, and I give him credit for that. I really do. It's not easy to do that, and uh, and and I think he had to. He, you know, my biggest question going into the season for Auburn was, Gus has never proved he could run the ball without a running quarterback. Well, they've altered their game plan, and they're proving they have the ability to run the ball with a pass first or maybe not a pass first as much as a pass threat a pocket pass threat and uh i think it's uh i think it's fun to watch uh, you know i've watched one game and I'm, I'm i'm getting ready to watch another one before i you know before the game goes and uh they they stress you in a lot of different ways and they and as i say they're a legitimate defense and they're an sec defense and uh defense in this league you have to have to travel on the road I've got some concerns about the right side of that LSU offensive line against Auburn's defense. I think this <laughs> well, this they, is going to be a well, very, very interesting. Re- they haven't even returned their prom tuxedos yet. I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't you? They, they got three true freshmen. They actually played four true freshmen in that game. And I don't know if Weathersby or Malone are going to play in the game. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> as much concern as you have, I think Danny Etling might have more concern, to tell you the truth. Is the does some of the the Matt Canada offense and some of the schemes and the shifting is, is that a way that you can take some pressure off of that offensive line when when you've just got a tenacious Auburn defensive front right there on the other side? Well, you know they just faced a Florida offense defense that's very similar. I mean, you know the guys that the suit up for uh, Florida are are just like the guys they're going to face this week for Auburn. So you see how they finessed them. You see how they, you know, handled. I mean, I, I am not criticizing anybody. I know how hard it is. I've been out there. I've been out there when we've lost some of our talent, too, when you have to play without a few guys, okay? And uh, I thought at the end of that half when Danny threw a couple of late passes and almost both were picked off, 
I, I think Ed Orgeron and Matt Canada looked at each other and go, hey, if we have to win this game 17-16, we're, we're going to win it 17-16 because, we, first of all, we can't blast block them. And secondly, our quarterback's shaky, and they've got a good defense. So um, we, I think you're going to see more of the same. We're going to see a lot of finesse. You're going to see a little bit of power. You're going to see them rotate their running backs, Williams and Geis, because neither one of them are 100%. I feel that Darius Geis not being 100% has been... But give him a lot of credit. Give him a lot of credit. Him playing out there in that game. I mean, most of these... And, and, I, and I don't blame the guys. I mean, I listen, if, if I was giving him advice, I might say, Darius, get yourself ready for the combine. What are you doing? You know, I, I, and I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying some people... I'm sure some people's told him that. And it was more important for him to be out on the field with his teammates. And he showed me a lot. You know, here's what Darius Geis has shown the NFL. He's an extremely talented uh, athlete running football. He's a willing blocker in pass protection. He is a run-between-the-tackles willing runner. And now he's shown the NFL he's willing to play when he's less than 100%. He's going to be a very valuable player in the NFL. Going to the national picture real quick as Oklahoma loses to Iowa State. Uh, how is how is your sort of the race for the playoff spot starting to come together or any developments from that loss in your opinion? Yeah, it, I still think it's a, a little early. And, and I, again, I, I get it. I'm not criticizing anybody about this. I, I uh, uh, let's put it this way. I, I think that the Big Ten, the ACC and the SEC are feeling pretty good about this. Okay, from what's happened. I think they believe their champion is going to be in there. Uh, even their one-loss champion now, if, some, if they stumble. Uh, I think that was a big loss for those three conferences. So that means, if, if you take that to the next step, does that mean everybody else is playing for one spot? And when I say everybody else, that includes a second team in some conference from the ACC, SEC, and the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. It, inclu- it includes Notre Dame, okay, yeah. Be- of where they're sitting. So uh, I-, I think that was a, you know, TCU's there, but, you, you know, if, if TCU loses a game or the Big 12 loses a game or the Pac-12 loses a game, do you really want to match yourself up to a one-loss Notre Dame or a one-loss Miami or a one-loss Georgia or a one-loss Wisconsin? I'm not so sure. That happened last year. Um, but right now, if, if, if all things ended right now, we would have the same four teams in that we had last year. Right? And we would have Washington, Clemson. I, I, I think actually Ohio State. I think they're the hottest team of the Big Ten and Alabama. Yeah, it's all about who's who's going to get out of that Big Ten right now. Is is, yep. is could Penn State knock off Ohio State? And, and they got to knock off Ohio State. They got to knock off Michigan, and then yep. they're probably going to have to knock off Wisconsin. Mm. And what if that one loss for a Georgia comes to an undefeated Alabama team in the SEC championship? Well, what if it's a little bit different? What if it's a uh, what if it's a, a loss to at Auburn, but they win the SEC championship? And it's a one loss for Alabama. Oh my goodness! Yes. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on here. It's really, 
you know, I, I haven't really put up my graphic that I use every year that we don't need no stinking committee. We can figure this out ourselves. Right. Graphic, is, right? But, 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 but it'll get there. It'll sort itself out. It's fun to talk about, and it's great fodder, and it's part of what college football is all about. Uh, I think, really, though, we need to be patient until after Halloween, because then it really starts to get interesting. This year is shaping up to be a lot more like 2007. It's the last year that craziness happened, and remember, most of that craziness happened the last two weeks. Well, if uh, looking... I, I always appreciate your reminders because it's very easy for those of us who are out here talking uh, as much as we talk to try and advance uh, this. So I appreciate the reminders that we do no, have a lot I, of very and, good football. And you're right. I'm not, I'm not even criticizing you. I did that. I did talk radio for five years. Sometimes you look at that blank piece of paper and go, what do you want to talk about? Let's <laughs> talk college football, you know, like that, because that'll, that'll get the phones ringing. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying we got a lot of time here. But that doesn't play well on, uh, you know, you can't write a podcast or write a do a radio show saying just be patient. We'll, we'll just laugh <laughs> <have> later. <laughs> That's right. He is Gary Danielson. Uh, you can catch him on the SEC on CBS Game of the Week. It is number 10 Auburn at LSU, live from Baton Rouge, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. Gary, we'll be tuning in. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, guys. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. In need of great talent for your business, but short on time? You don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You need the right tools. You need smarter tools. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click, so you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. It's no wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. It's ZipRecruiter. It is the smartest way to hire. And now you can find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and all industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results because you can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash 24-7-sports. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash 24-7-sports. One more time, try it for free today. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash 24-7-sports. We'll get into specifics. Game breakdown. Specifics. Game breakdown. If they played on a neutral field, you would take them. Breaking down the game. Bringing back into the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, Danny Cannell. Danny, what's up, man? Was, uh, we've, we're here. It's, this is the, almost the mid-season point of the year already. It's crazy. I mean, I, I, was, I saw that the other day. Uh, that we're at six weeks, some games, you know, six weeks into the season. And I think it's I think it's as wide open as it's ever been outside of the top two. Like, you know, Alabama and Clemson are starting to separate themselves. But from three to ten, there are a lot of teams that look very similar. And I think like the, the question you look at with those teams are who can really compete with Alabama and Clemson? Like that's the gold standard of what we should be looking at in college football. And, you know, I think we all thought it was Oklahoma. Then they, you know, go out there and, and they lose to Iowa State. Um, you know, each week it seems like another team gets knocked off from that that second tier of teams. Um, but I think that's like really the gold standard of what we should be looking at teams. How can they hang versus Alabama and Clemson? Well, like, let's start there with Oklahoma. What do you think the odds are 
um, because one thing that Bart and I discussed is you looked at the Big 12, the depth of the conference, like as many teams seem to be playing good football to this point. And I figured that, yeah, Oklahoma could be a decent, a pretty good playoff contender as a one-loss Big 12 champion. Now already taking a loss to Iowa State, what kind of odds do you give the Sooners to be able to either – uh, you know, run the table or, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, actually you made the point, like you make themselves the most attractive two loss conference champion as possible. Yeah. So I don't, there's something about the big 12. I don't trust. Like I know this depth is supposedly a good thing. It's supposed to be better for the conference, but I actually think they would have been better served if Oklahoma and Oklahoma state were undefeated for a longer point of time. And, of course, you don't want Oklahoma to lose to Iowa State, who's been a bottom dweller in that one. Yeah, it's great for Iowa State and their fan base, but that, to me, is a weakness for Oklahoma. And then you go in there and you look back a couple weeks ago when they're barely beating Baylor, who's you know a bottom-tier team not only in the Big 12 but in all of college football. And you're like, man, is this Oklahoma team real or what is going on? Like, why? How are they able to go into Ohio State, go into Columbus – put on the dominant performance that they had there and then, you know, crap the bed so many different times. Like, I, I don't I don't get it. It's really hard to figure out. Um, but for the entire conference, even TCU, as, as everybody's kind of latched onto that team, I don't trust them, again, going to the gold standard against Clemson, against Alabama. I would. There's no chance I would pick them against either one of those teams. I think they'd probably be a, a 10-point or a two-touchdown underdog uh, against either of those teams. So for the conference... I don't know. I, I know that kind of the majority of the discussion is, hey, this is good for the Big 12. It's their best chance to get there, you know, get back in the playoff. They have the championship game. But I don't I don't know if it's such a good thing that these these other teams are getting knocked off. I don't. What do you guys think? Big 12's out. I think the Big 12's out. I, I think you almost need to have like a powerhouse team. And, and Oklahoma looked like maybe they're the Big 12's powerhouse team. But now that they go and lose to Iowa State, like – You've got your Clemson and ACC. You got your Bama, Georgia, and the SEC. You got your, you know, your your Big Ten East squads. And I just think now this sort of brings the Big Twelve into this. It's almost too much parity. Like, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, a TCU could go and lose to Kansas State this weekend. Calling it. I'm calling it right now. Kansas State's going to oh, win that game. That's special. I yeah. like it. I feel a lot better because I picked Oklahoma State out of this conference. I actually, they're the one team I look at and I say maybe they can do it because with the offense they have, they can avenge their loss most importantly. And any, everybody can't. Like, you know, I mean, I don't think Oklahoma can because I don't think Ohio State's going to get back in the championship game if Oklahoma wins out. But I feel like Oklahoma State or TCU, but I feel like Oklahoma State might be the best opportunity for the Big 12 to get back there. Their loss was early enough in the season. It was to TCU, who looks like a pretty good squad right now. And more importantly, if they face TCU again, I feel like they beat them, and then they avenge their loss. So that's their best scenario. Danny, what's it like living in a hurricane state right now? Oh, I mean, they kind of they they, they kind of run things right now, don't they? You know, I thought you were going like the serious note. You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think it's yeah. Really I'm, 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 jokes about hurricanes. Might, right might want to watch my wording there. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it was. I was uh, the Florida State Miami game was it was a ton of fun. I thought it was the most entertaining game of the weekend. I thought you saw two young quarterbacks, not just Malik Rozier from Miami, but I thought you saw James Blackman really grow up in that second half. 
but man, I think it's going to be a long year for Jimbo. You know, trying to keep that team motivated at one and three now. I know there have been some things out there that they might not get bowl eligible. I still feel like they'll knock off somebody that they're supposed to lose to. Like, may, and maybe even it's Clemson. Maybe they go out there and they, they get hyped up for that one game. But for me, the bigger question is Miami. With Miami getting over that hump, seven years straight, finally beating Florida State, is this the year for the first time since they've joined the Atlantic Coast Conference that they actually not win it but get to play for the title? I, I hope it is. Like, I hope Miami – represents i hope they get back to where you know they're used to being that great question are they back or are they not but man they better be careful with georgia tech this week because they're feeling good about themselves georgia tech paul johnson will have that triple option humming and they've run all over miami before so i think that's going to be mark rick's next challenge is making sure his team backs up that win and kind of finishes the deal for the hurricanes and i hope they do like i think it's better for the acc which, you know, is in, talk about depth. Like, it's a conference that all of a sudden is showing a lot of depth with some of the teams that historically haven't been that good. Um, you know, even Virginia's playing better this year. So I think it would be huge for the ACC to have Miami or Virginia Tech kind of in that driver's seat where they're playing Clemson in that, in that uh, ACC championship game. Chip and I are both calling for the, the Paul Johnson upset this weekend. I think you guys are brilliant. Like, <laughs> I, I, I probably will, too. I don't even know what the line is. I haven't checked. I'm assuming it's pretty close. It's like six and a half. Really? Yeah. yeah. Miami's a six and a half point favorite? Miami's uh, a six and a half point Yeah, favorite. Miami's favorite. Yeah. I'm going to go straight. To, I'm, I got I to gotta make some calls. I got to work <laughs> on that. That, to me, is a shocking number. Um, I mean, I just I feel like it's a total trap game for the Hurricanes. So I'm with you guys. I don't know if I would go all the way out there. But, man, I think uh, Georgia Tech would cover that spread easily. It feels like it's this, like, weird cosmic thing because it was the breakthrough game for Miami, but then you lose Mark Walton for the season. I think that's, like, seriously going to change the my my projection for where Miami can finish because they're still going to have that defense. And, you know, Homer's shown a good job of being able to be a change of pace back. But without your superstar running back, I like I, I'm picking Georgia Tech as the straight up winner. And then you just look down the schedule as you mentioned the the ACC Coastal's got uh, some tough games there, and you still have to play Virginia Tech. Like I, it was a great big step forward because the U might not be back, but the Florida State Miami rivalry is a hundred percent back. Like it's not all one sided anymore. It is Jimbo one, Ricked one. And now we're sort of spinning forward in a new era. But I feel like in that battle, it's like they lost their, their best soldier. And now I'm, I'm a little bit bummed moving forward thinking that uh, they're not going to be a hundred percent to be able to try and chase down an ACC championship. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be a challenge for them. I picked Miami um, to go to the ACC championship game. Before I toot my own horn, I thought they would lose to Florida State and have a rematch in the ACC champion. You know, like, I'm an idiot for thinking that. But I, I, I agree with you to an extent, but I will say this. Because of the nature of the position, like, and Mark Walton's a great back. I think he's a great. he's been a great fit for them. I don't think it's as devastating as it would have been if you had lost Malik Rozier. I mean, look at the quarterback problems that other teams – Florida State being one of them, you know, when they lose their starting quarterback, it's much different just simply by nature of the position where, and I would assume Miami has some depth there, and Travis Homer will be the initial one that has to step up, but they're going to have to have some younger guys. Maybe they were thinking about redshirt and guys, and they have to burn that redshirt because it's a year where you feel like you're built for that championship run, that conference championship run, and you've got to pick up the slack there. On the other side, I'm curious if you you, cause you said you, you talk to Jimbo every week on your radio show, and, and I'm curious if you've talked to him at all yet 
and if you will ask him at all about this, um, just Cam Akers. Like he seems like just a, a beast. And with with them having a true freshman at quarterback, he finally got a full workload, twenty carries. Like he ended up with one hundred and twenty yards. Um, is I've been sort of calling for time to just sort of give give the the bulk of the carries over to Cam Akers and see where he can take you. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And do you, do you have you had a chance to to pepper Jimbo with that at all? So the the times I've asked about him because we I didn't have a chance to, uh, after this loss, obviously when he sort yeah. of breakout game where he finally you know he goes for one twenty plus and he's trying to you know, shows shows signs of fulfilling the promise that you know was being a five star at the top running back recruit coming out. Um, but the times I asked him before, he said, you know, we have to be careful with him. And I'll read between the lines. So this is my interpretation of why you've seen Jimbo work Cam Akers in kind of slowly. With a running back, and you guys know this, but with a running back, you can't just say, all right, here's the ball. Go hit that, you know, go hit the six hole or go, you know, run right, run right off tackle. Right. It's you've got to be able to have blitz pickups. You have to be able to know your pass routes. You have to know when you're hot for your quarterback. So I've, I, that's my feeling is that Jimbo is kind of taking baby steps with Cam Akers. Let him, because you can't, if you put him in there just to run the football and that's all he can do, you're going to get exposed. Defenses will line up and they'll run blitz you and they'll say, hey, we know he doesn't know what he's doing. We're going to come after you and get much more aggressive. But as Cam Akers has gotten more comfortable in the system, that Jimbo's been able to say, all right, now we can give him the full workload. And I think you'll you'll continue to see that trend develop as he's more comfortable and Cam Akers develops more confidence in himself and his ability to, to grasp the full offense, but also in the coaching staff that they trust him that he doesn't get the quarterback killed. Because they have enough issues as the offensive line. They can't be worried about a, a running back who doesn't know who to block. they got to make sure he's, he's on top of things. Yeah, there's no question there. It's, it's been a little bit like the Dalvin Cook scenario when he was a freshman. Like To this point, um, Akers is actually a little bit ahead of schedule from Dalvin um, in terms of just like – I think Dalvin was – it was like game six before Dalvin hit his sort of 20-carry threshold. Um, so they're getting there, I guess. But I just – with, with – you know, Dalvin was playing with Jameis Winston, though. And I feel like with, with Blackman, you know, he could use a little bit of more firepower in the backfield just to give that offense a, a, a burst. But I thought, and I thought, James, I thought it was a tough game to watch. The first half, both offenses struggled. But in the second half, I, I really thought James Blackman made some some progress. He's been a good player. Yeah. I mean, he's, first, he's done everything you could ask for him. You no, know, you're down seven. I think it was third and ten. You're down seven. Like, you, you need that score, and he makes that big throw. Um, to Auden Tate, like it, he made some strides, some progress in that game. But even going back to Cam Akers, just a little bit, real quick, with a quarterback, it's one thing, and there's a transition that's tough. But a lot of these quarterbacks now are running systems. There's a lot in high school that yeah. puts a lot of pressure on them, so concepts are similar. A lot of guys in high school, when you're a dominant running back, you don't have much in your plate. It's here's the ball, you take this toss sweep, and you make guys miss. And Cam I think, Akers was a quarterback. He was just—he was basically a wildcat quarterback. I mean, he threw for three thousand yards, but right. he was—he was—I uh, mean, he was just shotgun zone read stuff at quarterback. So yeah, he'll get more comfortable with it. Yeah. What do you think about LSU showing up uh, against Florida? Are you changing your opinion about LSU? Do you think that they are any any much any better now than you did prior to Saturday's win against Florida? No, I think yeah. this shows even more that the SEC is an absolute train wreck right now. Like, where <laughs> is going on with the conference? The one, I, like, because I had much like the most, the rest of the country, 
I thought Florida was going to win this game going away. Like then, then all of a sudden you see the Vegas line come out. <laughs> you guys will figure this out about me. I trust Vegas way more than I do to my own film study and my own preparation, <laughs> my own thoughts, because they're right most of the time. The game, when it closed right before the game, LSU was a favorite, a one-point favorite to win that game. So that should have shown you something right away. But, I, I mean, LSU has the talent there. It's very clear that there's talent across the board, which makes that loss to Troy even that much more concerning. Like, why weren't you able to just go out there and physically beat Troy, you know, even with quarterback problems, even with, you know, Danny Etling, even with all the issues that you have, why weren't you able to beat them? But moving forward, there's still defense. The defensive side of the ball still has NFL talent on it. And I think it speaks volumes. I, I, I think it's been the most underreported story of college football this, this year has been the credit card scandal and having nine players sit out for Florida. Like, I feel like no one talks about that anymore. And there's a very serious depth issue that Jim McElwain is dealing with. And I think that's an issue. I think that's one of the reasons they, they, they struggled. I think Felipe Franks is still very young and still figuring out the position. I think that's going to be a problem for them as they continue to develop him. I think it's a good thing that Jim McElwain is forced into playing him because I think it'll, it'll, it'll expedite his progress the more he learns the more he get makes his own mistakes he can fix it instead of worrying about going to the bench now that they're kind of stuck with him i think that'll help uh his development but i think more than anything it kind of spoke to what is going on with the sec like it is a mess right i I think that auburn will be able to at least add its name uh like especially going into baton rouge this weekend i'm looking at auburn to show up you know they they've finally gotten things rolling a little bit carry on johnson's been good i think that the SEC will be able to hold its own in the conversation against, you know, what, what do you have at the top when you have Alabama, Georgia, and Auburn? Because I, I, I agree with you. I, I didn't come out of the LSU win. I did call the LSU win. That was a that was a lock that got cashed. But uh, nice. I, I just – I feel like LSU is still just not impressive uh, on offense. Like the Darius, Darius guys being hurt – makes them a decidedly average football team instead of being a slightly above average football team on the offensive side of the ball. But I do think that if Auburn goes into LSU, puts a big number on the board, shuts them down, wins by a bunch, I think that you're going to start coming away from this being like, all right, so you got Auburn, you got Georgia, you got Alabama, and guess what? Auburn plays Georgia and Auburn plays Alabama, and at the end of November, we'll at least be able to sort this thing out. I I cannot wait to watch Auburn in this game because I've been touting Auburn saying – as bad as people were ready to jump off the Gus bus, you know, after struggling with Clemson, taking 11 sacks for Jarrett Stidham, people threw that team under the bus. I was like, hold on a second. This Clemson defense is really good. Not a lot of people are going to be able to move that thing. Then they struggle with Mercer, and you're like, uh-oh, it's time to panic. But once they got things rolling against Mizzou, and that was really like a confidence boost for them, I'm thinking, all right, this is still an offense which can be really tough to defend. I think people take for granted way too often that a new quarterback is going to transfer and he's going to step in and he's going to be fine and it's just going to be flawless. That doesn't happen unless you're Russell Wilson. Like it's just it's really a challenge. But as Jared Stidham has grown in that system, as they've got Petway and Carryon Johnson healthy and playing in the same backfield, having some depth there, it becomes a big problem. Now, is it for real? Like is it legit? Because you know Mizzou has their problems. Mississippi State, right. and Mississippi are not the teams that they've been. This will be their first test. And even if I'm sure some people will say, well, it's LSU. They struggle with Troy. But this is the first team they've tested with that will have the athletes on the defensive side of the ball. Because I don't think Auburn will have any, any problem shutting down LSU's offense. But I want to see that Auburn offense. How do they do against a quality defense? Can they continue to keep up the pace that they've set the last few weeks? So 
another team that's that's been rolling right now offensively that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, Ohio State is Ooh, on their like annual yeah. midseason just boat race, and I'm still like skeptical given what we saw early in the year. Like, do you think we should take anything from Ohio State just stomping Maryland and rolling through Rutgers? And, and, and have they figured anything out offensively? Or is this just like just our annual Ohio State like um, you guys are smart. You guys are smart. <laughs> that's like that's why you guys are looking at this with a skeptical eye, as am I. I am not giving Ohio State any credit for beating UNLV <laughs> Rutgers Merit. Like these this is a joke, and this is where it's totally fool's gold. It's but it's been this way for Ohio State, right? Like they've done this every single year. JT Barrett is a good college quarterback. He's He's a good quarterback, but he's not a great passer. He's not, a, and and yet, if you look at the standings, and it wasn't, you know, before this week, he was leading the Big Ten in passing. Now he trails Trace McSorley by just a little bit, but he's still averaging 250 yards a game. So you're looking at it saying, well, he's putting up good numbers. He can do that in Ohio State's offense. He can do that against nine teams a year, against everybody else they play that is not named Penn State, Michigan State. And Michigan, like I want to see him do it against those teams. And I think it got interesting because Michigan State all of a sudden looks way better. Yeah, which I think we were all probably overlooked that team. We're all guilty of that. But those three games, that's when I want to see JT Barrett and all of a sudden this high-powered offense. How do they do in those games? Because it's the same story every single year for this Ohio State team. And I'm not falling. I'm not falling to that fool's gold. I want to see them do it against a real opponent. All right, Danny. So I, I said this after the Ohio State Oklahoma game. I said, look. The, they cannot win a national title with JT Barrett. We know what the ceiling is. Play Dwayne Haskins, work JT Barrett in all you want in like red zone, short yardage stuff, you know, maybe a series or two a game. But they've got to, we know their ceiling. Do you are you a believer that they can get to where they want to go with JT Barrett? Or are you are, are you with me and thinking like that this is just that there's they've already hit their their, their ceiling with uh oh, no you know what you're gonna get i mean there's no coincidence when they won the national championship who was who was playing quarterback right. stretch right. against <laughs> teams that i just mentioned like that's that's when they need the production and i think it'll be interesting to see like because I, I what does urban meyer do there what does kevin wilson the offensive coordinator do because i know urban's very loyal to jt barrett and he should yeah. be a great leader for that team but they've got to get more production from that uh, from that position, and they've got to get somebody who can come in and can give you some sort of passing threat. So you better be developing Dwayne Haskins in some of these blowout games, getting him reps, getting him opportunities to see the field. Where because I, I think they're going to need him. I'm with you. I think they've got to do something different at the position. All right, that Penn State game is coming up in a little over two weeks. How would you, as a handicapper, what kind of point spread would you put on that game? It's in Columbus. I would probably put Ohio State at a four-point favorite. You know, I think it'll be a close game. I don't, I don't know about you guys. I don't. I'm not all in with Penn State. Like I, I know they're ranked third. I know they're, you know, they're they're a team that's kind of hot. A lot of people picked coming into the playoffs. I, maybe it's also with Saquon Barkley. I don't believe he's the same caliber as a Leonard Fournette. As a even Dalvin Cook, you know, bummer he got hurt. I think he's a really wow. You're not on the Saquon Barkley I, train. Nah, I like Bryce Love better than him. Now, granted, I might be a little bit biased because I just saw him in person, but I mean, he was at nine. He was at minus seven yards rushing in the third quarter against Northwestern. 
And granted, they came out and he got, you know, he had to cut, rattled off a couple longer runs. I, I don't, I'm not buying into the the Penn State love. I think I, they struggled at Iowa. Like that game, and it was a great game. It was a great drive. Trace McSorley driving him down that field, you know, was a, a beautiful drive late in that game to take the lead. You know, Saquon Barkley goes over 200. I said it then. He's not winning the Heisman against Iowa. And much like Penn State or Ohio State's passing game has to do it against the top tier quality opponents, so does. So does Saquon Barkley and this Penn State team. I'm just I'm not buying in on them. I'm not sold. I still felt comfortable coming into the year. I said I felt the most confident in my pick of Ohio State winning the Big Ten, and I still kind of feel that way. I think like we're. I, I think know, we're, yeah, I, I got like you. I'm, I'm keeping uh, it, but I think we're sleeping on Penn State's defense. I think Penn State's yeah. defense is, is gets a little bit ignored. Um, and Barton, I know that you know uh, you know Brett Pry, you know pretty well. But like this is. That's that's a side of the ball that I think sometimes the shine on Saquon Barkley uh, takes out a group that doesn't have a lot of superstars, but has been uh, playing some pretty good football. Let me ask you something though, Chip. Well, let me ask you: What opponent have they shut down that would impress you offensively? Uh, no, I, I just I'm I, right. I'm See, that's the I, I'm that's, saying it's bubbling. It's bubbling on the <laughs> stove. It is a take that I'm not ready to pull out. It will be a hot take after I see him against Ohio State. When they shut down Ohio State, then I'll have my hot take ready because it's been bubbling here for a couple weeks. Because even now, Michigan shutting down them in a couple weeks won't be that impressive, yeah. which is crazy. But I mean, and I'm sure Jim Harbaugh will try to figure some things out offensively. But I don't know. I just I'm not buying into the Penn State hype just yet. Well, here's the flip side. Here, there's there's two sides of this, right? It's I mean, they got outgained by Pitt. They t- took a last second comeback to beat Iowa. They, um, you know, it was kind of a sleepy performance against Northwestern. But I, I think the other way you can look at it is they are sort of cruising through this season with one one tough game against Iowa, who they outgained by like 200 yards. And and yet they still haven't had a complete performance. So maybe they st- still hadn't all come together. I mean, this is about the time last year where it all came together um, for them. So I, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I actually picked Ohio State before the season, the playoffs, and I was ready to, to you know, if, if I could have re-racked it week two or three, I would have done it with somebody else. But now I think I'm kind of with you, Danny, in that, like, Ohio, Ohio State probably gives you the most confidence coming out of this, especially since they're getting Penn State in Columbus um, so I, th- this might circle back around to Ohio State sort of rolling through this again anyways. So are we headed towards the exact same playoff, Alabama, <laughs> Clemson, Ohio State, Washington? Because I'm starting that's to what like – I predicted. I'm starting to like you, Washington. Went, yeah, Wash- and I think that's the one thing to note with Penn State and with Washington is that they're one of the – the thing that Washington – because I do a, you know, a top eight every week and I've got them in my top four and their schedule is you know cupcake and say whatever you want about it. They really haven't been tested yet. But the one thing they've done – which is what Penn State has done for the most part, aside from Iowa, is Washington is dominating their opponents. Like they are handling their business, which is more than you could say for a lot of teams around the country that are ranked high. Um, you know, their closest game was Oregon State, which was I think it was tied seven for a long time, maybe even a halftime. But they won forty-two at forty-two to seven at the end. Every other game, Rutgers, I'll give them a Rutgers pass. Rutgers is ugly. But, yeah, but, <laughs> but let, I think, let's let, let that slide. Unfortunately for them, that's and I, there is an East Coast bias. Like there, there is, it is a real problem that Chris Peterson, that the Pac-12, that Bryce Love from Stanford, it is a real problem. There's no solution. It's not getting fixed. But that's the only game people remember from Washington probably that watched them play on a national stage. They're like, oh yeah, they they struggled against Rutgers. They don't look the same as they were last year. But they are dominating everybody yeah. else. 
Well, now that you're in the Pac-12, you had a chance to call the Utah game over the weekend. And, and um, I, I've been talking with Chip on the pod here saying, like, every week I'm sort of tempted to say Stanford's about to make a run and finish, like, 10-2 and 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 be one of the hottest teams in college football. But part of my, like, theory on that is that they were going to get quarterback figured out and that I, I, I had a hunch that K.J. Costello was going to be that guy. And yet, I, I, I watched your game the other night, and they're like shuffling in Keller Chris and KJ Costello, and, and it's hard to figure out who's, who's really the future at, at the quarterback position there. W- what was your take in, in how they handled that? Do you have a hunch on which guy is a better fit there? And, and just sort of where do you see the trajectory of Stanford? So we got the email for on, it might have been game day. I don't know if it was Friday or game day from Stanford. And it said, Keller Christ is making the start. And I was like, are you sure? I was like, our producer, I was like, are you sure? I'm like, is this a misprint? <laughs> I, I thought KJ Costello played better. Statistically, he was higher completion percentage. Touchdown interception ratio was better. And then watching the film, the offense performed better. I thought it opened up more opportunities for Bryce Love. But I, that is my huge concern, too. And if it was anybody else from da- except for David Shaw, I probably would have been even more vocal because I hate rolling quarterbacks. I don't like when they start one and they give them two series, and which is what Stanford did in that game against Utah. It was Keller Chris started. He got two series. Then when they went Costello, and then they went back, and it was back and forth throughout the game. I cannot stand that. I think it's a recipe for disaster. I think it's a lack of confidence in either one of the guys. I think they need to make that choice and say, here, let's go with – and I think – I'm with you. I think it's K.J. Costello, although I talked to some of their coaches before the game and was talking to some of their staff. And they put a lot of workload on their quarterback, like a lot of sure. check with me's at the line of scrimmage, a lot of two and even three play options where the court and it's not check with me's where you look over to the sideline and it's oh right. hey, what do we do, coach? No, it's on the quarterback's shoulders. And I have a feeling that's why David Shaw was more comfortable with Keller Chris because he knows the system a little bit better. But at some point, and you saw it in that game against Utah because Utah was loading up. They were saying we're going to put eight nine guys in the box. And we're not going to let Bryce Love beat us. And they did a pretty good job of that for the majority of the game. And, you know, Bryce Love was able to pop one open for 68. And he had another big run. So you, they kind of got beat by that. But their schedule, too, is what to me looks really, really tough. When you have to go to Washington State, this is all remaining on their schedule. Oregon, I'm, I'm just kind of skipping over because it's at home. But that's not going to be an easy out. They have to go to Washington State. They have Washington at home. And then they have to. And then they play Notre Dame at home. So you got three chances yeah. against really quality. I think Stanford plays the toughest schedule in the entire country. Just and mm-hmm. looking at their and looking at their entirety, and that includes San Diego State, who might be the best. I think they are the best Group of Five team, who they already lost to on the road. Stanford, the schedule is just a monster. Well, after seeing Utah in person, what kind of chances do you give them to be able to go into USC and knock off the Trojans? Utah, not very much. I, that and it's been. I haven't even. I haven't even followed up on this. Is Tyler Huntley going to start or not? Because that that to me is what it comes down to for them. Yeah. As as much as I appreciated the story um, of you know of what um, Troy Williams was doing, he stuck around. You know, didn't transfer, didn't complain. Voted team captain. He made some really bad throws, and they looked very limited in the passing game. In an offense where Troy Taylor, their new offensive coordinator, wants to put a lot in the quarterback's shoulders, accuracy, I think, is a problem. So I would not give them very much uh, of a chance. Their defense 
looks really good, did a pretty good job against Stanford for the most part. But I think USC is going to have too much talent, too many weapons for them. That dude Marquise Blair can hit, huh? Oh, yeah. He, oh. <laughs> I love that guy. I, he came in because he sat out the first half of the game, and he came in, and A.J. Hawks, you know, defensive guy, he's a linebacker. He's calling the game with me. You know, unbelievable career in the NFL and at Ohio State. Nice. He had a couple hits where it was like you could hear him in the booth, and that's what separates it. You're like, oh, my gosh, that was a different hit. <laughs> yeah. And then he got ejected from the game. I don't know if you guys saw it. was because I did. He comes up, and it was just a good tackle. And I think the referees, even the sound of the hit, like they were like, uh-oh, we might have to go look at this one. And thankfully, they didn't call it targeting because it was a totally legal hit. But, man, he was delivering it. He is Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell on Twitter. Danny, uh, you're the best, man. Let's get back uh, this time next week and wrap again. Fantastic, man. I know it's supposed to be another slow weekend, but hopefully it's a slow weekend like last one because that was a lot of watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. You got it.